Uh, we're studying the book of James in our Bible class, and James is a, a book that's loaded with a lot of different topics. It's a practical Christian life kind of book, and uh, obviously one of the topics that he speaks the most about is the word, uh, has to do with the word tongue or with the use of the tongue. And uh, I thought that I would pull a lesson from the book of James, and that would help out as we get into those passages. They might not consume as much time, or they might, because people may have comments to make. What I attempted to do was to draw the book of James, the statements regarding tongue, draw them together with other scriptures throughout the Bible, because the best commentary on anything in the Bible is the Bible itself. And so my text isn't actually from James, it's from Ephesians 4.29. There the Apostle Paul said, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. I don't think we have to define corrupt communication, but it's more than just what we call swear words nowadays. Corrupt communication could involve gossip. It's any misuse of our tongues. Paul says, don't let your tongue get misused. Don't let corrupt things come out of your mouth. But in the second part of the sentence, or the second half of the verse, he says, here's what you do allow to come out of your mouth. Let it be used for good in edifying. The word edify just means to build up. To build up. The world lives by an unwritten motto. They don't have it written anywhere and they don't brag that they live by it, but they do. Tear down. Let's tear each other down. Let's tear this place down. Destructiveness. But the Lord Jesus teaches us to build up. And throughout the New Testament, we're taught to build each other up. And in the process of building one another up, uh, Paul says, this will minister grace unto the hearers. There are people that will hear the sound of our voice that if we misuse our tongues, they will not hear about the grace of God because they won't be interested in what we have to say. And so as we proceed to apply this particular verse and let it, let it blend in with the ones that will come from James in a few moments, we, we will number the things that will have no corrupt communication Coming out of our mouth, it'll be good things used for edifying. In other words, to instruct or improve someone. Instruct or improve them morally or intellectually. Those are both places for edification. So that we may uh, provide grace to the hearers. I heard a man speak uh, quite a few years ago now. It doesn't matter how many. But I remember... Uh, a couple of sentences from what he said out of the whole thing. I remember the, the gist of what he was talking about. And uh, he happened to have been talking about a, to, a, to a younger group of people. I was working in a middle school. And he's trying to give them uh, practical lessons on how to get along with each other. And, of course, the Bible gives us plenty of those, and the book of James uh, does too. But this man said, before you speak, ask yourself a couple of questions. Is it necessary? Is it kind? He said, if you answer no to either one of those questions, or both of them, he said, you shouldn't open your mouth. 
you should just hold it back. Take it somewhere by yourself. Hold it back. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 14, again, the Apostle Paul is commenting on the use of, of the tongue or how we speak. He says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor over you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Comfort yourselves together. That's the first statement that he makes. We're living in trying times. I know we've all heard that said uh, recently in the last few months, and we probably said it. We're living in difficult times. We're living in trying times. We're living in unusual times. People are, are react different ways emotionally. I was in the, the store shopping on Friday, and, and the lines were long. And I mean, they were long. And one lady had broken down into tears and had a complete meltdown. And she was talking loud on her way out, still pushing the cart, but verbally saying she's going to leave her groceries and go home. She was that, that much emotionally charged into everything that's going on. And Paul tells us as Christians, we're supposed to comfort yourselves together. Comfort one another, encourage each other, edify each other. Uh, and he says, and, and I know you do this, even as also you do. And I know you do this here in the congregation. Because as we, we've said over and over again, the Bible teaches that we are the family of God. And we hopefully are behaving toward one another like family. And I don't mean in the way that family gets into spats and goes into feuds. We're not going to go there, but we comfort each other. We work together with each other. But in verse 12, uh, Paul says, I, I beseech you, I'm imploring you, brethren. Uh, he says, know those that labor over you. He's talking about the elders here. Uh, esteem them uh, for their work's sake. Esteem them in love. And, and then he says, and be at peace among yourselves. Now, he's put this in in the middle of all of this. I think it's because... He knew there'd be times when the elders might need to say something. But the elders, like all of us, all of us have to learn to watch how we say and what we say. But then I also think he put this in here so that, so that we would know uh, that somebody's looking after us. The Lord's looking after us, but he has appointed the eldership to be responsible for the flock. That's another term that's used for the church. It's the family of God. This is also the flock of God. And elders, another word in the New Testament for elders is shepherds. The shepherd shepherds the flock. Now, in this case, in the New Testament, God has told his shepherds how he wants them to shepherd. It's not where they can write their own book, and it's not where one man can be a shepherd, which is practiced a whole lot in the world today. But you always have a, a plurality of elders, and they shepherd the flock, and they comfort the flock, and they edify the flock, and they teach the flock. And you know the flock is doing the same thing back and forth toward each other. And so at the end of verse 13, he says, And be at peace among yourselves. 
In verse 14, he's going to teach some more. He said, we exhort you. Now we exhort you. Do what? Warn them that are unruly. Now, he's talking directly to the elders, I believe, here. But he's also talking, if we know someone, if, if, we, if, if there's someone that we're having a difficulty, we should encourage each other in a positive kind of way. But in the meantime, when the elders see something that's going on, they should address it. We exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. That, that one's a hard one. Comfort the feeble-minded. In other words, show comfort to those who are being troubled by external circumstances. Show comfort to those who are, are being pulled down because of what's going on outside uh, in the world day by day. Comfort others because of the difficulty you know, we all know, regardless how strong we are, that being at home in a semi-lockdown or a complete shutdown or whatever, that's not an easy kind of life. So we know how to offer comfort to people who are going through that because we're going through it somewhat ourselves. So we comfort the feeble-minded. We comfort those that are getting depressed, discouraged. Support the weak. The Bible teaches this over and over. I believe Paul is teaching it in relationship to what we say, though, because he's got too many other things in here that involve talking. Support the weak. Help them Help them to get up. Help them to stay up. And you know, at some point or another, we're all in that category of the weak. There are days when we all feel so discouraged, but when, then, when we're feeling stronger, let's take what we've learned and let's help, let's help those around us. And let's try to be perceptive. And then the last thing he lists here, and this involves the tongue, even though he doesn't talk about the tongue specifically, he says, but be patient toward all men. We're patient toward each other within the church. Sometimes it gets a little harder. We go out into the world and they don't live by the standard we do and we're not patient with them. Maybe we don't let them know that we're not patient with them, but we tend to not be patient with them. But Paul says, show patience toward all. One thing that might help us to know how to show patience is to ask ourselves, how much patience did it take the Son of God to live here and teach here for three years knowing that he was going to go to the Roman cross at the end of his life? How much patience did Jesus need to go through all of that? And it certainly took a lot. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, a passage that we usually use in conjunction with, with assembling, and, and, and uh, we, will, we will mention of that today, but uh, let's read the, the verses, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. He starts off by saying, let us consider one another. Uh, that, maybe that's another way of saying, be considerate of each other. But uh, one old preacher said, as this verse starts out, let us consider one another to, to provoke. He said the verse didn't stop it, provoke. We're going to provoke something else, contrary to what usually the world provokes. Let us consider one another for the purpose of provoking to love and to good works. 
And to help with that, verse 25, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But then the second part involves talking. But exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Now when I read this passage, I see two approaching days. One of them comes every seven days. Seven days from now, it'll be the Lord's Day again. This is the first day of the week. Seven 24-hour time periods, and we'll be back to the first day of the week. The other one looms way out there somewhere, or maybe nearby. We don't know, because we don't know the day or the hour. That will be the day that the Lord comes back to claim His own. And so, the writer of Hebrews says, encourage one another, urge each other uh, to do something. Do what? To not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. To not provoke uh, to anything except love and good works. And how much should we do this? That much more, he says. So much the more as you see the day approaching. So in the seven-day block, the closer we get to Sunday, we should be here to encourage others. Encourage one another. Uh, I learned something during uh, the uh, stay-at-home order when I started sending out uh, text. I got a little more proficient with it for one thing, but for another thing was I thought after this is done, I'm not going to quit sending out sermons. And one reason was I had more than one ask me, was I going to continue later? And I said, I don't see why not. That doesn't mean you have to listen to it. If you're here, I don't mean I'm expecting everybody to run home and listen to those sermons. That means they're there when you need the message. They're there. But they're also there when you need to share with someone and you don't know quite what to say. And you think, oh, I remember that lesson. And if you notice, it's it's building. Uh, it, when you click the link and you get there, it's building like any other blog does. So if you remember what's in the ones you've listened to, you run into somebody that needs to hear it, feel free to share it. There's no problem about that. All of these things, we do so much the more as we see the day approaching, not just the Lord's Day, but ultimately the Day of Judgment. Close your eyes for a minute and think about those around you who are close to you who haven't obeyed the gospel. This gets on my mind a whole lot all the time. Just within the congregation, if we sit and we think about those who have not obeyed the gospel, we, we have a lot of people that we need to reach out to and love and, and encourage and, and uh, help them to find their way and help them to get over whatever stands between them and their salvation and them and God. And you know, we're going to be using our mouths quite a little bit to do that. Either we are or we're going to invite somebody else to. These are things that the mouth is made for to serve Jesus with. In, Je in Romans chapter 14 and verse 19, back to Paul's writings, uh, Paul says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another follow after chase after pursue let's when we're going to talk to somebody else let's pursue things that'll make peace let's pursue things that we'll edify people with sometimes at the moment it might not be making peace if you're teaching somebody that the wages of sin is death and they don't want any part of it and they're getting angry but you you are you are doing the right thing at that time because you are doing you are teaching to edify them. So we follow after the things that make for peace, 
and with those things we edify one another. When we're pursuing someone to edify them, uh, I wrote down a little thought here and it made sense to me. Jesus came to claim us, not to shame us. Jesus didn't come and say, you're all a bunch of sinners to put us to shame. He came and said, you're all a bunch of sinners and I love you and my Father loves you and I'm here to die on the cross so that I can claim you as my own. So that I can bring you into the fold. So that you can achieve and you can have salvation. So remember that when you're talking to someone because you're a representative of Christ and you're there to claim them, not to shame them. You're not there to tell them how bad they're doing. You teach them what the Bible says about what they're doing. That's why it's always a good thing when you study with someone, allow them to read the scriptures out loud if they're comfortable doing that because they're hearing it with their voice. They're reading it from God's Word. So it's not something coming from you to them. It's coming directly to them. In Proverbs 27, 17, the wise man said, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. As you grow stronger in the Word of God and you use your God-given tongue, as Moses learned God had given him one even though he thought he couldn't speak, you use that God-given tongue to pursue the edification of others, you will realize that you will be able to sharpen iron in your life. Iron is sharpening iron. The more you learn, the sharper you get, the more you grow and you can help someone else. In Colossians 3.16, back to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote this epistle and usually we use this when we're teaching about a cappella singing uh, in the worship, but you, you listen to the first part of that verse. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, be full of the word of Christ. And how are you going to do that? By reading the Bible, by studying the Bible, by, by worshiping God, by drawing close to Him in prayer, by listening to God and conversing with Him in return. So you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then if, I'm not an English teacher, but I've been grading a lot of English lessons. You get to the semicolon and it's almost like another sentence. Or it's a sentence that can't stand alone. He said... Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. What's the purpose of that? So you can teach and admonish each other. And he tells us you can teach and admonish each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There's an appropriate use of the tongue. Singing, teaching, admonishing each other, teaching the grace of God to other people through song. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. The unknown writer of Hebrews says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. How, how often should I exhort you daily? How often should you exhort me daily? Encourage each other. Have a cheerful word. Say something good. He says, Exhort each other daily while it is still called today. Why is that? Because tomorrow may be too late. Either one of us may leave the earth or we all may leave the earth by then. Uh, and then the writer points out another problem. Exhort the other person lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. 
You see, sin is deceitful because the originator of sin is a deceiver, and that's the first thing he did in the garden was to, to deceive Eve and lead her to sin. And so Satan is going to deceive us with sin if he can. He wants your heart to get hardened. God does not want it to be so. We've laid the groundwork. Uh, now we're down to passages from James. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, we've, we uh, read this morning. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. James says, get in a hurry to listen. God gave us two ears and one tongue. That's what my mom used to say. God gave us two ears and one tongue. That's so we can listen twice as much before we speak. Be in a hurry to hear. Be even slower to speak, though. I believe it's one of the Proverbs where it says that uh, when you, even a fool can prove himself intelligent by keeping his mouth shut. Something to that effect. Uh Sometimes it's appropriate not to speak. Other times it is appropriate to speak. But James says, but don't just blurt it out. Give it some thought. We talked in class about God giving us intelligence and God giving us the ability to, to have some perception. And so James is telling us, be in a hurry to listen. Slow down before you speak. And if you're getting angry, slow down for that. Because our anger, the wrath of man, will not work the righteousness of God. So if it's not working the righteousness of God, the inverse of that is it's working the sinfulness of Satan. One of the Proverbs, and I had, I had jotted down the reference, I think it's 13.13, the, the, the chapter is the same as the verse number. But it says, a soft answer turneth away wrath. This is one that's hard for me to learn. And I'm still learning. I'm still working on it. And I'm sure it's that way for many adults, many people. But a soft answer turns away wrath. Sometimes better to say nothing at all than to say anything. Because a soft answer turneth away wrath. And so, as we're working with the concepts that James has given us, uh, we want to be turning away wrath. Uh, in James 1, 26 and 27, and we didn't get quite that far this morning, but I think we read that far. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the fatherless is this, uh, and the, before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. James says, if a man seemed to be religious, this is that, that, that looking through uh, the uh, transparency or the lack of transparency. If we seem to be religious, but we aren't working on our tongues, then we're deceiving ourselves. That's why I say I, I believe that most human beings, that's control of the tongue is a difficult thing. We're, we're, we're all in that. But some people will make an effort. The world is full of people who don't make an effort. 
you can be in a public place and all of a sudden you hear something coming from to the right or the left and you think who in the world would is saying that uh, lack of control lack of self-control in first Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 Peter said for he that will love life and see good days let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile if you love life if you want to see good days refrain your tongue from evil in other words as the Apostle Paul would teach, when you put something off, you put something on in its place. Otherwise, the bad will come back. Well, if you're going to put off saying evil things, you need to put on saying righteous things, speaking good things, speaking positive things from the Word of God. So if you love life and you see good days, you want to refrain your tongue from evil, you want to refrain your lips so that they don't speak guile. Guile is deceptiveness, deceit, fraud, duplicity, dishonesty sounds like an in-depth description of Satan again he wants us to be little miniatures of him and he'll deceive us into this in Colossians 4 6 Paul said let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how ye ought to answer every man now, if you're not supposed to have salt this is one time you can have spiritual salt let your speech be seasoned with salt, always with grace, seasoned with salt. Study the Word of God so that you know about the grace of God, so that you know how to answer every man. You should be prepared. You should be ready uh, to answer. And if you're not studying and growing, that makes that course difficult. In Titus, the third chapter, verses 1 and 2, Titus said, Put them in mind to be subjected to principalities and to powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Paul is giving directions to Titus for teaching. Some of the teaching in the book of Titus is specifically to elders regarding being elders, but there is other material that's for older people and and uh, younger people, older men and younger uh men, older women, and younger women. This book is full of teaching for all of us. The first thing is be subject to principalities and powers. That would be rulers. Obey magistrates. And I think we all know that the writer of Scripture is saying obey magistrates unless they tell you to disobey God because in the book of Acts we see Peter and John turning to the magistrate and saying you don't really expect us to bind you do you? Because we're going to obey God before we obey man. Be ready for every good work. So far we don't have the tongue involved yet, but here it comes. Speak evil of no man. There's a lot of evil we could say about other people, and I suppose there's a lot of evil because we're humans that could be said about us. But you know, we have an advocate with the Father, according to First John, and that's Jesus Christ the Righteous. And although there is not a lot of good he can say about us, there's a lot of good he can say for us. And he can tell the Father that he stepped in, and the Father knows this. But as our advocate, he can say, I stepped in, I paid the price, and they have responded to the gift that was offered to them through grace. They've responded to the blood of the Lamb. They've responded to having their sins washed, washed away. 
So we speak evil of no man because Christ is not going to speak evil of us. He's going to attempt to find the good within us. Even when he was calling the apostles, when you think about some of the men that he called, you think about Peter. He could have said, I don't know if I like this guy because he's this and this and this and this. Oh, and he's a fisherman. Wow. Uh, no, he didn't look at what these guys were. He looked at what they could become. That's called agape. The highest, uh, agape love is the highest good, seeking the best in others. And Jesus looked at each of us down across the ages, and he looked at what we could become if we had the opportunity. And he said to the Father, yes, I'm willing to go to the cross. So we're not to speak evil of others. We're not to be brawlers, but we're to be gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. The word meek, it gets confusing, but it, Moses is called the meekest man in the Bible. And somebody wonders, is that because he could command armies, command the ocean? Here's, here's a, a definition of meekness. It's a, a spiritual meek, spiritually meek person is not self-willed, not continually concerned with his own ways, ideas, and wishes, they are willing to put themselves in second place and submit themselves to achieve what is good for others. Meekness is therefore the antithesis of self-will, self-interest, and self-assertiveness. And I guess we could say, or, or we could agree with the Bible, the reason Moses was described as the meekest man in the Bible is because he gave up his self-interest, his self-will, and his self-assertiveness to comply with what God wanted and over and over the scripture says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. And he would go to the children of Israel, and he would say, The Lord your God said, And you know you need to obey him, because if you don't, you will answer to the consequences. But if you obey him as a loving father, he's going to take care of you and take care of your needs. Moses was meek because... He was not a selfish person. Some have defined it as power under control, and I think that would fall in the category with this. And so we are to show meekness in our lives as Christians. Jesus was meek. He threw the, the changers out of the temple. That didn't mean he wasn't meek. His power was under control, and he was putting the interest of his father. He was taking care of the interest of his father because... He even quoted the scripture, you made my father's house a den of thieves. We could probably talk about our tongues with our tongues from now till evening, but you might get bored or you might fall asleep and I might run out of something to say. If you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, we hope that we've said something that will be beneficial to you in, in making a determination. The Bible teaches that in order to become a Christian, we need to repent of our sins, confess Christ, be buried with Him in baptism for the forgiveness of our sins, be raised to a new life, live that life faithfully unto death. So you see, it's not just a beginning. It's not the end product. It's a beginning, but it's a beginning with a continuation. If you're a believer and you've not been faithful to your calling, you need to repent and pray and recommit yourself. Whatever your need is, we're here to assist you this morning while we stand and sing.